diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with T.C. Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, T.C. Riley. Hope everyone's doing well out there and is having a terrific week. I'm excited. Got a data-centric show for you guys today. Um, really, uh, we're going to call it the guiding light of data. It's going to be our overall theme here. Um, we're going to look at a number of different things, and really, uh, we've avoided the whole COVID situation the best we could the last uh, five, six episodes here on Diving Into Data, but... Um, it is inevitable that we're going to have to dive back in and acknowledge some of these things. And specifically today, we're going to be looking at data in kind of a post-COVID world. That's really going to be where the focus is. And we're going to look at um, data usage in reopening the world, how that's important, how that's being used, how it should be being used, and what we're going to do there. Um, and also what data management in a post-COVID world kind of looks like. Um, we're also going to think about all the different things that, frankly, that we've learned over the last few months. Uh, I mentioned in a couple previous episodes that this was an awesome kind of case study or experiment in a number of fields. So we're going to talk about some of the things from a data perspective maybe that we've learned over the last few months or things that have been around but maybe haven't been highlighted as much that now are even more crucial in the world that we're in. Um, and even dive into how sharing data um, is going to become even more and more and more important as we move forward. We're going to see where it um, succeeded over the last few months and maybe where there were some failures over the last few months um, in hopes of creating better and more open data ecosystems in the future. Um, and even though there's a lot of you know cool, good things that we're going to learn from this, um, we're also going to talk about some of the risk around this data. Um, there are some specific risks, especially when we're looking at this post-COVID world and the data that we're really going to tie in here um, when we're dealing with something like data on a pandemic and health data. Um, and then we're also going to look at uh, the dependability of this data. Um, is it accurate? Can it be relied upon? Um, uh, it's something that's always important. Uh, you know, uh, there's an old saying about um, you put junk in and you get junk out, maybe using a couple different words. Um, that's absolutely applicable to any data you're going to work with, any type of modeling, forecasting, anything like that. So we're going to touch on a couple of those things. Then we're going to wrap up with a, another segment of our industry rapid fire. I'm going to pop back and look at retail. We touched on this about a month ago, but um, we're going to specifically look at retail data usage um, as retail uh, is reopening. Um, that entire industry is kind of finally going to get a reprieve here and more and more businesses are opening up. So we're going to take a look at that. But with that, um, sit back, grab a drink if you want. Um, uh, make sure you're practicing some good social distancing. Let's dive into some data. Today, 80% of companies are using online learning to grow their business. And MarketScale's online learning solutions are simplifying how you can launch yours. From building an enterprise learning management system, to course design by our professional instructional design team, to full video production and graphic design, your online university will be best in class. MarketScale's blockchain-powered digital credential program makes it easy to add certifications for your courses, creating powerful brand awareness and authentication for your organization. Education is the highest form of marketing, and MarketScale is making it easier than ever to create and deploy training for your customers, partners, and employees. For more information on online learning solutions, visit MarketScale.com. As I mentioned, the real theme this week is data as a guiding light, the guiding light of data and how we can use data to really drive where we're going. Um, to start this off, we're really going to start looking at the value of data um, and the usage of data throughout the last few months, um, what's been critical, 
um, what we've learned, what we've uh, gotten better at. Um, but to start off, I was reading an International Monetary Fund blog. Um, I know that if you're not into economics as much as I am and data as much as I am, the IMF blog probably does not sound like a you know must follow, must subscribe. Um, however, if you are in this field and you do love especially economic data, highly encourage you to subscribe for that. They have a little newsletter that'll send out their updated articles, something I really, really enjoy. Um, but we're going to specifically look at an article they posted um, talking about keeping economic data flowing in a COVID world. It's really interesting to think about um, as everything has shut down um, over the last few months. And luckily, again, we're starting to reopen. But when everything, everyone was hunkering down, we were in the beginning stages of this. Um, something that a lot of people immediately turned towards was government policy, the impact on the economy. Um, things that we've touched on, things that there have been discussed at length across, frankly, uh, just about every news program out there and anyone out there who's willing to listen. Um, but uh, something that not a lot of people have touched on is that a lot of the data, a lot of the policies, a lot of the things that they want to discuss and talk about rely on really accurate, detailed data. And just like everything else, it could be more difficult to get, frankly, uh, get this data during this period. Um, this article dives in uh, talking about, obviously, we need updated data, um, not only for updates in terms of tracking the pandemic, things like that, the actual, we'll call it the more health medical stats, um, but also all the things that drive policy, drive government response, drive um, economic response, the U.S. bank's responses, all these things, they all rely on a ton of data that they need in order to understand really what's going on and how to remedy the situation or address or attack or not the situation, whatever it may be. Um, and this blog does a great job. It called out three specific challenges um, throughout this period that have potentially been hampering maybe those efforts and what we've been able to do there. Uh, the first is just like just every other business, um, a lot of these national stats offices, the people that collect this data, whether it's specific in the healthcare field or just generally in the government, a lot of these folks have been working from home. Um, they have access to limited resources, just like, unfortunately, a lot of other companies out there do. Um, maybe you're lucky like market scale and we're able to kind of quickly pivot to a digital world since that was your space. But a lot of companies out there struggled with this. And these national data offices and stats offices are no different. Um, folks were out of the office. Maybe they had a laptop, could do some of the stuff. Maybe they didn't have access to some of the equipment, machinery, modeling, whatever they whatever they need to effectively, most effectively, I should say, do their job. They might not have access to that. So that was one challenge. Another one that was brought up consistently was actually the inconsistent approach regarding um, recording government support. There has been a ton of stories out there about how these different stimulus bills have been pushed through. Again, uh, hopefully they had really good data for that. We're going to touch on something here in a second that suggests maybe they didn't. Um, but uh, whenever we're talking about all these actions the government's performing, we need to understand, frankly, just the tracing of where are all these things going? What is the impact? Um, being able to make any type of actual informed decision based on um, the small business loans that went out that unfortunately were drained very quickly, been refunded a couple times now, I believe. Um, but with all of those, uh, what are these companies actually doing? How are they being impacted? How is their, uh, you know, the if they did or didn't get support type of uh, model um, going to look? Um, and because we've had such inconsistent capture of that data, um, again, frankly, I think it's just a situation of everyone trying to go a million miles an hour. There's a lot to do, a lot to address. A lot of folks need help and money. Um, it's, it's not always easy to make sure you dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and are recording every little step and every little component um, as you would in an ideal data world, we'll call it. 
Um, but that was the second challenge list in this blog. And the third, when maybe what they suggest is the most critical was the fact that everyone needs this data now. So when we've been talking about all this, again, uh, governments are pushing out stimulus bills. The U.S. was able to push out a $2 trillion stimulus bill in a matter of days, which is absolutely incredible um, when you consider the complexity of that type of law, um, all of the economic factors and indicators that are um, contained within that kind of effort. The government needed to make that happen. Um, small businesses were, you know, sometimes hours or days away from not being able to make it, having to start furloughing staff, not being able to rent, make rent payments. Um, and even though we're talking about businesses, obviously a lot of personal people um, had a similar impact or something that's analogous to this. But um, from the business perspective, a lot of those companies needed access to those funds now. They needed to know exactly what the plans were, what the government was going to provide, where they could get money, were these actually you know just low interest or no interest loans, um, were they kind of some type of subsidy or stimulus? Um, you know, obviously, I think all of those were contained within the packages that were rolled out. So where do they fit? But all of this required a lot of data right now that, frankly, businesses and the government just did not have. Um, I, I, as a part of one of the first two, not only were they having trouble kind of capturing um, initial returns and results off it, not only did some of the people who are really good at running this stuff and are able to really work through this stuff um, may have not had all of the uh, you know their resources at their disposal, um, but that didn't matter. The government needed to know now. They needed to understand exactly what they did have information on and act on that information. So um, the need for the, the urgency around this time specifically threw another wrench in there. Um, and, and what these challenges were really talking about were all the things that, um, again, if we're, we're drawing up a perfect, we'll call it analytics case study um, or statistics case study, um, these are all things that would be significant challenges to what we're aiming for and our end goal in ensuring that we have a really accurate data set with really verified results that led to really concrete policy. All these things would be great in a perfect world, but that's just frankly what we didn't have. Um, something it did uh, throughout there, um, again, being the IMF, um, they have the, a lot of their blogs contain different pieces of advice, whether it's kind of from a country perspective, an individual perspective, whatever it may be. Um, but this article is no different. Um, so some of the key recommendations that stood out to me as I was reading this IMF blog article um, was the prioritize and focus on data and stats with the biggest impact, um, the things that are going to lead you to the most critical KPIs or stats. Um, not only is this obviously appropriate for a business that is trying to um, survive some turbulent periods, but I think this is just a great overall lesson in the business world. Um, far too often we've talked before about uh, data overload and just having uh, data paralysis, um, having so much data you don't know what to use or what to do with it. Maybe you're able to accurately get all this data. Maybe in the COVID world you're only at, you know, able to get A and B when you really used, uh, are used to getting A, B, C, and D. Um, and can you trust just A and B or do you need that accessory data of C and D in order to make an informed decision? Um, what you need to be able to do is, again, we'll say, I would recommend kind of work back. Identify what the most critical things. Is it simply a uh, revenue in and versus money spent, a you know overall balancing the books at the end of the month perspective is what you're worried about? Um, is it a forecasting issue and trying to understand um, what investments you should make or what you should do from a business perspective, given the uncertainty out there? Um, with all of these things, kind of prioritize what the most critical KPIs are for you. Work back from there to understand where you really need to ensure you have accurate data. Um, and maybe accept that, especially in a turbulent, fast-moving situation, you're not going to have perfect data on everything. And that's okay. Um, you need to do the best you can. 
with that, their second recommendation was supplementing data with whether maybe it's best guesses at times. It's okay to make educated decisions at times. That's all you have with market data, with private internal data. Um, supplement whatever is uh, lacking in your data sets, whatever is lacking from your ability to really make a great informed decision off of this and find other sources that you can use to push this further, um, supplement the data, get additional data points that maybe aren't traditionally in an analysis. Um, what this could you almost could say this boils down to is get creative. Um, don't be picky with your data for lack of a better term. Um, obviously again, that, that when you don't get picky with data and you start accepting external sources, there's less control, there's more inherent risk there. Um, we're going to touch on risk here in a minute. So we're going to leave that to the side, but Frankly, at times it's going to be necessary, um, especially when you're looking from a high-level government perspective. And the last key recommendation from this blog, which I think is uh, maybe the most important thing um, of this entire little topic here, um, is enhanced transparency on your models and methods. At the end of the day, everything we just talked about has a lot of question marks floating around it. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of things that maybe you don't understand what you do and don't have. Maybe. Um, some of your data pipelines have been struggling through this period. Maybe from a macro perspective, there's certain data pools and data sets that uh, maybe don't have the most reliable data for this and that reason, for any type of reason. You're going to have some assumptions in your models. You're going to have to make some stretches at times when you're trying to do a quick analysis like this in an imperfect world. So when you're doing this, ensure that you are incredibly transparent with whoever you are delivering this information to as to the potential biases, as to the assumptions that had to be made with these things. Um, if there's external data that was included that you can't verify the authenticity and accuracy of, make sure it's noted. Be upfront with, uh, it is okay to run an analysis in a not perfect world. That's what we live in, that's what we often have to do. A much graver sin or error would be to act and assert um, to decision makers above you, whether this is your boss or a client or the government or the president, whoever it may be, whoever you're kind of delivering this to, if you're not transparent about the potential flaws and risks, it can still be a valid model. It can still be a useful um, simulation, whatever it may be. However, you are already, you're caveating and letting people know that there inherently might be errors here that need to be considered when you are evaluating what you're going to do with this data. Um, a little kind of tangent here on this, we're not gonna dive into it fully today, this might be a topic we revisit here on diving into data in the future, um, was some of the issues with the initial COVID models. Um, when the pandemic started, um, the main model from the Imperial College of London, I believe if I'm not mistaken, um, was the one who was uh, driving that, it could be mistaken on that, so apologies to Imperial College if I'm remembering incorrectly. Um, but one of the main models that they ran um, that had some of the really high death projections, frankly, that specifically in the UK and the US kind of jump-started the federal government's reactions and um, pivots on, you know, maybe this isn't a huge deal to, holy moly, we got to get a hold of this thing now, um, probably pushed us, frankly, um, into a very quick lockdown of everything, um, something that's going to have long-term economic impacts. There are a lot of issues with the model. Um, that they were using. It was frankly a really old model. Um, they, it kind of went through those things we were just talking about. They didn't have necessarily consistent inputs that they could fully trust. It was a model of some inherent risk um, and an inability to handle a problem, quote unquote, of this size and scale is maybe another way to look at it. Um, again, we're not going to dive too much more into this today, but uh, I would just say that even with all those inaccuracies, a model 
might have still done its job. Those COVID models by overestimating, maybe they were, you know, the, on the upper bound of the uh, limit there of what was realistic. However, those actions potentially saved tens and hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, we don't know what happens if the governments don't react like they did. Yes, we can sit around all day and talk about did they go too far? Was it too much of a knee-jerk reaction? This, that, and the other thing. Um, frankly, I'd encourage you leave that to the politicians and the people that um, like to uh, hear themselves debate. Um, because at the end of the day, we don't know. Uh, we will never know. Um, we will never be sure what will or would not have happened. Um, just because a model has some inherent issues in it, um, again, it would be better if they had been incredibly upfront and transparent about these issues from the start, our last recommendation from that IMF blog. Um, however, a model can still do its job um, without necessarily having perfect data. And I think, again, that's a great example since that COVID model did help kind of hit the brakes on a lot of things, slow things down, um, and maybe make it more possible for people uh, to get back online quicker. And maybe as we're seeing a much quicker recovery than initially anticipated, it was because maybe we you know overcorrected a little bit to start, but we're better off that way than we wanted to been. So um, all in all, uh, there's a lot that goes into this. There's a lot of potential um, uh, to things to talk about, things that can go wrong, but uh, understand that it's okay to not be perfect. Um, However, uh, I mentioned, you know, well, you're only going to have so much data, especially in this world. Well, maybe if we set up some better data ecosystems and some better networks um, and we're uh, a little bit more democratized in how we collect, use and distribute data, we might not have this. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about data sharing um, both in the world overall, but also especially in a post-COVID world um, from a great Microsoft article that I was able to find. Um, as well as a couple of risks from a USA Today article um, that were illuminated by the COVID shutdown um, as it relates to this data sharing and maybe not full transparency. We'll be right back. Is your company hiring? Are you looking for a job? MarketScale Talent Solutions is home to the number one B2B job board for professionals all over the world. We host hundreds of job postings in every B2B industry from software and technology to building management. All you have to do to get started is visit marketscale.com slash B2B jobs to sign up. MarketScale Talent Solutions is your best resource to post and apply for B2B careers. Welcome back to Diving Into Data. Again, guiding light of data. Data being a guiding light is our theme this week for episode. Um, after we were talking about some of the post-COVID specifics, um, I do want to touch on a number of other articles that I found relating to this kind of post-COVID data world. Um, and one I specifically found was a Microsoft blog. Um, this was actually written by Anthony Cook, who's the regional VP and chief of legal counsel for Microsoft Asia. Um, and this article does specifically focus on Asia, but I think there's a couple key takeaways um, that are important from the world from a higher level. Um, specifically talking about data sharing and the ability to transmit data um, to different groups of people um, that are going to use it at the most simple terms. It's a critical effort for advancement. A lot of things, just like a lot of technology and things in that field, um, the more information that is shared, the more things, the more people that are educated on something, the better off the collective group is. Um, but it's a highlighted, uh, it kind of has a significant importance um, and has been really thrust to the forefront um, from the COVID stuff. Um, and one little example of this, China and the disease data, um, first off, and their ability or maybe inability, depending on who you ask, um, to effectively share that with the WHO and the rest of the world um, could have significantly changed the path that we've gone down the last six months or so. Um, but 
what the blog dives into uh, dives into is how the global data sphere is growing. Um, and Asia is really leading the charge, according to this article. Again, it's written by the head of Microsoft Asia, so maybe there's a, a little bias there, but I don't think it's inaccurate at all. Um, the amount of data that we have increases exponentially every day. Um, it's the old thing about, you know, there's more, uh, we make bigger advancements in computing power now in an hour than we had in the first, uh, you know, 50 years of quote unquote computers of some kind. Um, but they dropped a couple of stats in here that really stood out to me. Um, half of this data that's generated, even though this massive data ecosystem continue to grow, we have more and more and more and more and more data all the time. Half of the data is generated by less than a hundred companies. So the top companies in the world, yes, the ones you're probably thinking of, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Googles, the Alibabas, the, uh, you name it, across the world, the biggest companies, um, less than 100 of them account for more than half of all the data in the world that is being generated and collected and analyzed. Kind of crazy to think about. Um, so we immediately have some concerns about the democratization aspect if all that data is accumulated with a couple private entities like that. Um, and another kind of shocking stat to me was there was a study done um, about the prevalence of AI and how it's coming online and the economic impacts it's going to have um, relates to our topic from a couple weeks ago. We dove into AI and ML. Um, but this article states that they believe that 70% of the economic benefit of AI, um, at least in the next few decades, will be um, specifically for the U.S. and China. They are the two major players in this field and in the world and moving forward. And 70% of that economic benefit is likely to go to one of those two countries. That's just incredible to think about because even while those are probably the two biggest superpowers in the world, um, we obviously here in the U.S. are very proud of our standing as a um, world leader. 70% um, just between those two companies, only leaving 30% for the rest of the world. That was really mind-blowing to me. Um, there was a particular quote in here. Um, again, by Anthony Cook, that regional vice president and chief legal counsel for Microsoft Asia. Democratizing gains from AI and data starts with democratizing access to data. And that is absolutely accurate. The reason that 70% of those gains are probably going to go to the U.S. and China is because probably a, a equivalent percent of that data is being captured in those countries by those governments, by uh, private companies um, in those different countries. Um uh, really, there are five core principles that Microsoft preaches around this that I think are really relevant are data should be open, usable, empowering, secure, and private. So I think those are five incredibly useful, you know, open source kind of uh, words. I, you like all those words. Those are all fun flash words. Um, it's obviously a good guiding principle for Microsoft to have. But um, those last two specifically, as Microsoft's talking about this great world, um, specifically in Asia, how this interconnected community of all these countries is going to start sharing more and more and more data, there's automatically some little red flags that pop up. Um, specifically, again, that secure and private, those two tenets, those are, we'll, we'll say those are easier said than done. Um, that's just kind of an is what it is situation. Um, and specifically looking at these risks, I, I think that these were really, again, highlighted by this COVID situation. It has shined a light into the dark corners of some certain things that we don't always consider and look at. Um, but just uh, from a couple of high-level perspectives, um, think about all the public data we're talking about that we really need from the COVID situation that governments need to make informed, really accurate decisions. Almost all of that is health data based on their citizens and based on um, what the hospitals are reporting. Well, there's also this little thing called HIPAA. 
um, that uh, a lot of health protection laws, um, health data is naturally um, probably the most in the world outside of potentially financial data, the most secure thing that there is. There's tons of laws, there's tons of controls, there's tons of regulations. With all of those barriers, it can be very difficult for the right people to get access to all the data that they need. Frankly, the right data might not be there at all because certain things might not be captured from a privacy perspective. So uh, there's uh, there's this kind of weighing of the, well, you know, we, we, everyone has these rights and it's their data, it's their health information that's private. But from a public health perspective, we also need enough information to make informed decisions, to make um, informed legislation and stimulus packages if needed and things of that nature. So how do you balance that? Again, I don't have a great answer, but it is something that needs to be considered and I think is especially critical um, both we look back to the 2008 recession from the financial institutions that were having issues and the maybe lack of transparency in the data there. And then what we've dealt with in um, this kind of upcoming recession, frankly, I think we're entering um, based on uh, potentially a lack of data, not only from a collection and a um, autonomy standpoint, making sure that you're getting good stuff, but can you even get that data given the private nature? Um, another one that kind of stood out to me was a recent case in Florida. Um, uh, so Florida developed um, their, I believe it was like a chief tech data officer or something like that office for the state, developed this uh, COVID-19 portal and dashboard. Um, obviously, I love dashboards. We use them a ton here at market scale. So I actually did check this one out. Um, it was inspired by and relates to the John Hopkins one that many of you have probably actually seen if you've done some COVID-19 tracking. Great site, great dashboard, love it. Um, but this head of uh, the institution in Florida was actually fired in the last week. Now, why was this person fired? You'd think someone building this really cool tool and platform would be, you know, uh, someone you'd want to keep around would stick around. According to her, again, we're not going to get into the he said, she said, the I'll call it the tabloid version of this story. Um, that's definitely out there. Where I source was a USA Today article that was pretty factual and straight to the point, didn't um, deal with a lot of hypotheticals. Um, what she is claiming is that she was asked to actually manipulate data. Um, she was ordered to specifically alter data to drive support for the reopening efforts that the state wanted to do. Um, whether it was, I don't remember if it was a city mayor or the governor, or I believe it was a mayor um, that supposedly did this. Um, and while this is one specific thing, we're not going to go any further than that on that topic. It is worth noting that, um, especially when you're dealing with issues that are um, very economic or political in nature, um, there's always going to be that issue of potential interference. Um, this is a whole other topic that we're going to dive into on a future episode of um, whether we've talked about bias a little bit, um, the accidental side, but there's also tons of uh, opportunity for false data to be um, purposely, frankly, you know, passed along, used, whatever it may be. Um, that's a risk native to the data sharing. Um, any valuable data that a company wants to share into this massive data ecosystem well, do they want to share it or actually is this kind of cool and they want to keep that for themselves? So maybe they'll only put half of it there, um, you know, put half of the information out there or we're going to exclude this variable um, that we have information on because, you know, we're still working on that. Um, there's an inherent risk of some, we'll call it interference there anytime. So I encourage you anytime you're looking at or working with data um, that has heavy economic and political tie-ins. Um, just be aware of that. Keep that in your mind. Doesn't mean it's not accurate and shouldn't be trusted. Just as something you should be cognizant of. So we're going to take one more quick commercial break and then we're going to be back for our last segment today, which is our industry rapid fire, um, specifically looking at retail and retail coming out of the COVID outbreak. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be a maverick of marketing? 
I'm Shannon Maverick. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. for the Maverick of Marketing radio show. Each week, I'll be chatting with a different marketing expert to find out what makes them a true maverick. Taking risks is being a maverick. You aren't learning. You're going to get left behind. You can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. To listen, visit marketscale.com industries and click on MarketScale Radio at the top of the page. Stop running with the herd and start being a true maverick of marketing. Welcome back, everyone. One more quick segment here to wrap up the show with you, and it is our um, critically acclaimed, nationally recognized, no, not any of those, but I, you know, I think it's cool, our industry rapid fire segment, something we wrap up the show with every week now. Um, at least we have been in, until it's my radio show. We'll keep doing it as long as I want to. Um, but we're going to dive. We actually touched on the retail industry about a month ago. Um, one of those Forbes uh, Plus, uh, I think it was with Teradata, um, the great article and kind of piece that they came out with. Um, but what I was looking at this week was actually some retail um, stories around uh, that were heavily tied in with kind of COVID. And again, I think they tied in great with our overall theme of the guiding light of data. Um, both of the articles that I referenced here were from the Retail Info Systems News um, website, risnews.com. Um, had two great little articles. I stumbled across one, led me to the other. Um, kind of talking around how retail specifically is really going to have to attack the reopen with data and the right companies are already doing that. Um, before we look into the kind of the forward looking and what some of those companies are doing, um, also something really cool I saw out there that Roebling, a software company, um, is actually opening up for free their platform that has a lot of pandemic information in it um, to any business. Uh, I pretty much, I'm probably going to oversimplify this and I apologize. Um, you're able to enter in your specific location um, or use a mall that is nearby you, kind of a local uh, waypoint that you can use as a reference um, in order to get all of the virus data in your area, how other shops are doing, um, any laws that are in place, things like that. So it's a really cool software. Obviously, it's one of those things. It's free to a point. They have some advanced features you'll pay for and all that, but I um, wanted to give Roebling a shout out for uh, making that software available to retail companies. Anyone in that space who happens to be listening to this might be worth a Google search just to check it out, see if it could help you in your business. Um, but the main article I was reading, again, from Retail Info Systems uh, newsletter, um, was what forward-looking companies are doing um, versus what a kind of more tentative, passive company is doing right now. Um, especially in the retail space, they said that the forward-looking companies um, have had to pivot and are using non-traditional and external data sources for forecasting and planning. Um, this goes back, actually, again, what we were just talking about. Maybe there's a lack of inaccurate data. Um, and a lot of, especially in the retail space, um, there seems to be some trends in the industry to really, really, really trust your books, trust your information, um, but not use a lot of the things out there. Um, I actually read um, a couple years ago, it was at this point, um, this really interesting article that was talking about um, the lack of data officers, a you know chief analytics officer, a similar role in retail companies compared to some other industries. So um, another side topic for another day. But what this article mentioned was how those companies are really um, the forward thinking on the front, on the edge, the companies you want to be working with or working for um, are understanding that they can't rely on their own data right now. Um, we're in an unprecedented situation. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, especially when it comes to the retail side of things, not only from the can I get people in the door, 
Um, how am I going to manage the health aspects of this and the public health requirements? Um, but obviously the economic facts. Um, a lot of these companies have had to make very tough decisions in the last couple months um, to furlough or let go employees, to change different things that they're doing, um, especially any ones that were really heavily relying on brick and mortar and hadn't made a full transition um, to an online option um, or at least an online supplement to their traditional business. Um, there's a ton of unknowns out there. And they're going to be challenges for just about everyone. So you need to use some of the data that's out there from a macro perspective, from the um, market reports that are out there, um, from other businesses that have published their data. Um, don't just get stuck in this old model of well, we're going to use our data. We you know we saw a dip like this back in '84. No, 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 no. You've never dealt with anything like this. Just stop, frankly. Just don't try and compare it to other things. This is a unique, frankly, exciting opportunity for your company. And you should be jumping at the opportunity to look under new rocks, uncover um, new things that you guys haven't been doing, ways that you can improve um, what you as a retail company are trying to do and how you're going to approach the next few months and few years. Um, there's uh, another big use of this, obviously, in the space is simulating demand understanding what is and isn't working, understanding running discounting models and understanding, okay, if, if right now, um, we mentioned our last episode, this is kind of a supply and demand issue where, um, yes, maybe supply is low, maybe demand is low off also. Um, our supply demand graph has definitely shifted in the last few months, um, but how much has it shifted? Um, you need to understand that there's a lot of different people out there that some people, frankly, are you know still have their employment or still doing okay. They're getting back out there. Um, things are going to return to kind of normal. There are other people with health concerns that maybe while financially they're in a good spot, um, they're not going to be as aggressive um, just from a going out, shopping, purchasing, doing those activities. Um, and there's another huge group of uh, people, of a huge group of a population in our country of people that are struggling. Um, that are going to be in tougher spots, that are going to have to pinch pennies and probably not make some of the purchasing decisions they would have made a couple months ago. Um, so given all this uncertainty, um, the companies that are at the forefront have really taken the bull by the horns. Um, they're using non-traditional data. Um, they're trying new things. They're exploring new avenues. Frankly, all it takes is to look at some of the companies that have filed bankruptcy in the retail space and those that are thriving in the last few months to see which of these companies are truly taking a data-driven approach um, are being smart about this and trying to explore new avenues. Um, I wraps up with a line that talks about, um, and I quote that, while others slow down and see what happens, winners step up and make the most of a situation. I love, love, love this quote. Um, it's something that uh, Ben Maitland, our CEO at MarketScale, has done a great job preaching to our team over the last few months um, and helping us really understand and align around this goal that, this is actually as bad as everything has been um, around the, the country the last few months. Um, obviously, even frankly, more recently with some of the um, other uh, racial based issues that have arisen. Um, again, we're not going to touch on that in this episode, um, but thoughts and prayers to everyone out there. And we're going to leave it at that. Um, but with all these things going on, there's a massive opportunity. Um, for companies that maybe aren't the industry leaders right now to make bold moves, to make bold decisions, to look at new ways to incorporate data and incorporate different decision-making practices and different operational practices into their business in order to drive themselves forward, to separate themselves, because there are going to be competitors out there that are sitting around twiddling their thumbs trying to ride out the storm. Um, they're going to wait for something to happen here. 
Um, and by the time they realize the opportunity, it's going to be too late. The companies that are out there, and frankly, again, the companies that you want to be working with or working for are going to be the ones that are seeing this as an opportunity to, if needed, reinvent themselves. If needed, just reshift and reprioritize and focus. If not, just stick to the model they've been doing. But they've been able to be bold, make those um, decisions, lean more heavily into those routes. And um, those are going to be the companies when we look back in 10, 20 years, um, there will be a handful of massive Fortune 500 companies that you can point to and say, yep, it was their reaction to this COVID crisis. If you remember that COVID thing back in 2020, I promise you at some point, it's just going to be that thing that we all kind of talk about and barely remember. Um, hopefully it's sooner than later, um, but there are going to be companies that come out of this with much, much better spot. Again, I'm proud and thrilled to be at market scale, which is a company that I fully believe is in that group, but um, maybe not every company is there. So especially in the retail industry, um, some of those companies need to step up. They need to be bold. Frankly, now is not a time for an action. Passiveness and an action now um, are just going to lead you the way um, of, again, some of the big ones over the last few weeks that have uh, had to file for bankruptcy and the like. So um, with that, we are going to have to call it a day here on diving into data. Again, we were talking about the guiding light of data as our theme today. So we talked about um, the economic data flowing um, from the IMF blog around COVID-19 um, and the different challenges and opportunities and recommendations around that. Um, we talked about the necessity of data sharing um, and how data sharing in a future world could lead to not only from a public health perspective, but from an economic perspective, um, more informed decisions around the world, um, thanks to a great uh, blog from, a, uh, from Microsoft. Um, we also did touch on, though, the risks around this data sharing, um, again, specifically when we're talking about this public health data from COVID, um, with a little help from a USA Today article on the firing of the Florida employee who built the COVID-19 tracker in Dash. Um, and we wrapped it up with um, some stories from Retail Info Systems News um, around what the retail industry has really struggled with. It's going to be one of the ones that has the biggest hill um, to climb coming out of this. Um, but how certain companies have taken the bull by the horns, are getting creative, um, are frankly uh, accepting the unknown and embracing it as an opportunity um, compared to just trying to hunker down and weather out the storm. Um, and again, the long-term impact is going to be that some of those companies that are hunkered down are not going to be doing too well when this rolls out. And some of those companies that are bold are going to be a lot better off than they were going into this thing. Um, I hope that everyone out there is having a terrific uh, uh, start to their June. I hope that everyone is staying healthy. Um, we appreciate you joining us this week. And until next time, this is your host, T.C. Riley, signing off from Diving Into Data. See ya.